Morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and R.A.M. Barry, as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 191. Kansas is currently 3-0 after pummeling the Tennessee Tech Golden Eagles in Week 1, beating West Virginia in overtime in a Week 2 conference game, and easily beat Houston in a soon-to-be conference game in Week 3. This is the first time in 12 years that Kansas has started the season 3-0, with the last time this happening being back in 2009. In that 2009 season, KU started with 5 wins straight, then lost the remaining 7 games in the season, which were all conference losses, ending the season 5-7. and seven. This was also the last season KU ever had more than three wins in a season, which is a streak that could come to an end this week when they host Duke at home. I think we might be able to agree that if you go to Lawrence to watch the Iowa State at Kansas game in two weeks, you might want to be coherent enough to actually pay attention to the game, which has not necessarily been the case over the past few years. However, in a similar vein, I want to get your thoughts on who is the better team right now between ISU and KU. So I have watched probably about two and a half of those three games, maybe two. I watched the entire Houston game, most of it. And then I've watched most of the other two games. I would say from watching them, to me, it looks like Iowa State is a better team, just more well-rounded. KU's offense looks incredible. And it seemingly is kind of legit, if I'm being honest, like it looks good. Their defense is mediocre at best. I think they're going to have trouble once they get into Big 12 play, but it doesn't matter when you're scoring over 50 points a game. Uh, Iowa State's defense looks better. Iowa State's offense is not that good, but I think they seem comparable and competent. I would say KU has proven more through their first three games, but I just think Iowa State looks better when I'm watching them, if that makes sense. You, You think at Houston is a better win than at Iowa? I think the combination of at Houston and West Virginia is better than you know, just Iowa and then two cupcakes. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I think at Iowa is a little bit better than Houston, but I think the combination of two, two real schools and whatever Duke is next this weekend, I don't know exactly how to rank them, but decent enough. I mean, they're undefeated too at this point. So it'll be interesting, a much more exciting game coming up for, you know, Baylor and then KU than we were expecting at the beginning of the year. I believe I made the comment, if you lose to KU, the season's over, pack it up, we're done. I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's an outside uh, outside chance that that's a top 25 matchup. It's outside chance um, yeah. because neither team is currently ranked in the top 25. But there's certainly a non-zero chance that that's a top 25 matchup. Kansas is receiving votes this week. Yeah, but they took all of Iowa State votes. Iowa State's I know. not receiving any votes. They were the last they were the last couple of weeks and now they're not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Last week we had some and now we don't. There's only room for one historically god awful football school receiving votes. <laughs> and it's Kansas this week. Yeah, it's their turn. I mean, that's fair. But we'll see. I mean, a lot can change in a week, right? If both these teams lose, then it's definitely uh, on Saturday, then it's definitely not gonna be a, a top twenty five showdown. So We'll have to figure that out after uh, after we get there. So we, we already sort of referenced this in the intro, but uh, the Cyclones did beat Ohio on Saturday. Um, it wasn't particularly – it wasn't pretty. I mean, we dominated them, so it wasn't exciting in that aspect. 
Um, it was a long game. It took forever. There were a ton of penalties, way too many penalties on both sides of the ball. Um, that was quite frustrating. Um, what else do I have? Uh, yeah, so way, just way too many penalties. Um, we got to play more disciplined than that in um, conference play. Iowa State had nine accepted penalties for 68 yards, and there were certainly more penalties that were declined as well. Um, so just that was not good. Special teams, again, had problems. Um, they had an extra point blocked. Is it, is it our long snapper? Is he slow? What is it? I don't understand. I did not watch a replay of that clip. Um, so I do not know what the issue was with that. Wyatt, do you did you watch any of that, Kyle? No, I didn't. I didn't see that enough to like make a call on what exactly is the case there. But obviously it could be the combination of everything. Like if the snap's just slightly high, right? It it messes up the timing of the run up for the kick, the the holder getting the ball down, getting the laces turned. I don't know. Could be a lot of things. Definitely a little frustrating though. Especially it's on the wrong side of the field for me to see, and I haven't watched the replay yet. So, but either way, it's a it's a problem, and it's something we got to get figured out one way or the other. And right, we talked about going into the year that Iowa State hired a special teams coach, and maybe that would help. But um, one of the things I saw in the Des Moines Register, or was it Cyclone Fanatic? I can't remember. Is that it's not actually a special teams coach; it's a special teams analyst, and because they're not a coach. Per NCAA rules, not only can that player not or that person not be on the sidelines during games, they cannot have any contact with the athletes. So the special team analyst is not actually in the film room or on the practice field with the special teams. He's more assisting the coaching staff um, than the actual players. Um, it hasn't seemed to make much of a difference. The special teams have still been not good. Um, and I think if that continues, I think that's something we're going to have to rest, rectify and make either this person or somebody else an actual special teams coach. Yeah, so we're not paying anybody to coach the special teams. We're paying somebody to watch film and tell our coaches, hey, it seems like you guys have a lot of blocked kicks. And I'm like, thank, thank you for that analysis. That's really good. So it seems like it's helping a lot. This guy was actually the special teams coordinator for the uh, L.A. Rams in 2020. Fun fact. Our special teams analyst. Well, he must not have done that good of a job. Was he, was he not in 2021? Did they fire him? What happened? Uh, in 2021, he was a senior coaching assistant for Super Bowl champions. I don't know what that sentence means, but... I mean, that means he was, some, he was still on the Rams staff. Oh, for the Super Bowl champions, which would be the LA Rams. The, I don't the like Rams. the way his bio is worded. That, that's pretty poor. So he's still with the Rams in 2020, yes. Okay. Just a weird step down to go from Super Bowl winning team to random Big 12 school. Right. And not being a coordinator. Too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I will say one positive from the game. Um, Colby Reader, yet again, uh, makes himself known. Uh, he's had good game after good game after good game. Uh, we said it last week. I'll say it again. Seems like a great pickup. Yeah. Very excited for that. Our defense yet again. Looked good. Um, the least amount of points we've allowed was against Iowa. And every other game, we've allowed 10. 10 points, 7 points, 10 points. We're allowing 9 points a game, which I would consider a success. That Yes, that in my book, that is, is a huge success. And you know what Especially else? Especially considering when we said they could have played better in the first game on defense particularly. Yes, 
For sure. And I don't really – I didn't have any problems with the defense in, no, in this either. game. I thought they played very well. So I didn't either. I The, the more frust- frustrating thing was, you know, how many penalties this team had. And, and what – obviously, this game is a tune-up for conference play. Uh, I mean, you play who you play on the schedule, right? You play the opponent across the, the sideline uh, from you. But at the same point, this is a – Really, this is your last game before conference play. You're trying to get it right before you get into conference play. And there were too many penalties for my liking going into conference play, right? Uh, and ultimately, when the team came out, I, I was a little frustrated at the start of the second half when the starters came out and it seemed like there wasn't as much energy on the field. You would have liked to have seen them at least put together another clean offensive drive, um, work on a few more things going into, you know, the the next game. And it didn't really happen. The defense obviously still played well. And even some of the uh, reserves played really well for that defense later on in the game, which is good. You got to get them those reps. But just a little bit of disappointment from those starters and how they came out from halftime. Yeah, but you, you do have to give a shout-out to Anthony Johnson, finally in his sixth year, getting his first career interception um, in the first half of that game. That was really fun to see. And a incredible catch, by the way. Yes, it was. It was also really fun to see how everyone on the sideline knew how big that was. Um and and every like the cell even Coach Campbell, right? Coach Campbell was one of the first ones there to give him a huge hug. Like that's what what uh being a coach a player's coach means. It doesn't mean going soft on your players, it means celebrating with your players when they need it. That was fun to see. He also really he, he gambled see. a little bit a couple of series later and almost came away with his second one in the same game. He was really close. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's yeah. been really good so far this he, year he, too for yeah, that position his, change. He looks great. His move to safety was incredible. So Iowa State has had an odd success with moving players around and then having them be really successful now that I think about it. Yeah, Joel Lanning comes to mind. As the weirdest one for sure. Yeah, from quarterback to all American middle linebacker. But yeah. The other thing, I mean, this might be a little under the radar, but we got out of the preseason without any injuries. Unless did somebody get injured on Saturday that I missed? I don't think the Cyclones have any injuries. Remsburg didn't play in any of their first three games like we talked about in our season preview. He did He did start that first game. Oh, did he? He did, and then I think they sat him for the next two just to get him healthy. He did not play against Iowa or Ohio. So outside of Remsburg, I think everyone is healthy and good to go, and that's awesome Coming going into conference play. Will, uh, uh, what's, what's his name? Um, uh, Cartavius Norton, be, is he back to being healthy? I knew he was like day-to-day, week-to-week, right? With that hamstring injury? I don't think he played against Ohio, but I think from what I'm hearing, he'll probably be ready against Baylor. But again, they don't know for sure yet. And colleges aren't required to put out injury reports. It's sort of turned into a somewhat entertaining troll back and forth between um, between um, the between schools. Like uh, Colorado was playing Minnesota, and they put out an injury report from 1978, the first time the two teams played each other. So, uh, yeah, just sort of gone into a back and forth there. But 
We'll see who plays, um, but generally injury free, which not all three and O teams can say. I know Minnesota, um, you had their best receiver, Chris Ottman Bell, um, tear up his knee despite blowing out Colorado on Saturday. So it's good to see all the, the star players are healthy and good to go there. That's we like to see that. Any other thoughts on the game or should we talk about next week? I'm good. Let's get into it. So next week, big one conference play starts the same way as it did last year. Um, with a game against the Baylor Bears. That game um, will be 11 a.m. on ESPN2. Um, I've got this showing the Cyclones as two and a half point favorites. Um, I don't know if anybody else sees anything different, but I've got Cyclones by two and a half. That's what I see as well. Yeah, that's what okay. the sports books are saying. And then I've got FPI um, gives Iowa State a 47.2% chance to win. Um, so a little bit of, of conflict, conflicting there, but overall, this should be a really, really good game. I think Baylor's defense is vulnerable. Um, they gave up quite a few points to a BYU team that was missing some of their top wide receivers. Um, I think um, the, their defense is vulnerable and the offense should at least be able to keep us in this game. To give them credit, though, that Baylor game kicked off at like... 10 o'clock central or something like that. That game didn't finish until like 1 a.m. Central time. Yeah, it was a wild game. Yeah, that is true. But I mean, still, they looked slightly vulnerable there, I thought. So, but yeah, I mean, it should be good. I don't have any other analysis other than that. But you're going to need to you're going to want to play better mistake free football than you did at Baylor last year. And I, I think the big thing to watch there is Baylor has a good defensive line. Um Probably the, obviously the best defensive line I would say that this this team has seen this season. Maybe outside of Iowa's line, uh, they had, they have some pretty pretty good studs there too. But I think that's going to be one of the the focal points is how does this offensive line uh, handle that pressure? Do they give Deckers enough time to throw, and can we create some good run lanes uh, to free up that that play action? I think this is going to be one of the not one of the one of the first tests, but some of the earlier tests that we're going to see, can Hunter Deckers really make good decisions under a lot of pressure? We, we've seen a couple not great choices every now and then. I think this is going to be a big one. Conference opener, huge game. We're undefeated still. Ranked team, can he, uh, you know, just kind of deliver when we need him to in those high-pressure moments? Or is he going to force it to Xavier Hutchinson in triple coverage? But, I mean, does it get any higher pressure than it did at Iowa, if you're like, he's an Iowa kid, right? Deckers yeah. is, right? That, that's about as high pressure as it gets for an Iowa kid trying to lead a 99-yard drive in the Cyhawk. I think he showed me what he can do under pressure. I'm not an Iowa native, so I would 100% pick, you know, a conference win over a Cyhawk win, personally. If it can get us into the Big 12 championship, I'll take that. But I can see how being a native, that game can be more important than a conference game. Yeah, I, I agree in the big picture, the conference game is more important, but I'm just saying he had had to be feeling a ton of pressure. Yeah, for sure. And he played well that game. But yeah, it should be fun to see. Should be a very good game. Like I said, 11 a.m. ESPN2. Make sure you're up. Make sure you're aware. Make sure you're ready to go. Um, hopefully Jack Choi Stadium is rocking and it's enough to lead the Cyclones to a victory. And win or lose um, or, you know, get rained out like Iowa almost did this week. Um, we'll talk about it on next week's episode. Yeah, we sure will. And keeping up with wins and losses was a tough thing to do this week in the NFL as we 
and a lot of fans for their respective teams thought their games were all but over. Oh, how the turn tables uh, in these weeks, because what do all of these scores have in common? 30 to 17, 35 to 14 and 20 to nothing. I mean, you sort of you sort of gave it away. Yeah, I did. Like all, those teams really all, all those teams lost. Yes, they had those leads and lost. They did. They did all lose with obviously the, the, the biggest shock and surprise, in my opinion, was the New York Jets uh, at Cleveland. Cleveland did unveil Brownie the Elf. If you did not see that, go take a look. It's slightly terrifying. Do, and we, do we like that? I do not like that. I do not like it, and I don't think they should like it either because they are now 0-1 under Brownie the Elf. I saw uh, a lot of people like, I like it, I like it. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I it looks like it. a terrifying 50s food mascot or something. It's it awful. does, yes. It does look like a food mascot. Also, get your stuff together, the Browns. You're called the Browns. Your logo is an orange helmet. You also have a dog. Now you have an elf. What are we doing? Like rebrand everything. It's and terrible. also it's nearly impossible to recover onside kicks these days. Let the but they let the New York Jets do it. Like yep, it's a mess. It's a mess. So thirty to seventeen with one minute and thirty three seconds left in the Ugh. game. Right. So Cleveland is driving up twenty four to seventeen. Uh, Kareem Hunt goes takes a outside rush and instead of landing inbounds, he goes out of bounds. Right. That would have taken it to the two minute warning. First down, you're kneeling out the clock at that point. Well, you have to run under the play. The very next play, Nick Chubb takes an outside handoff in for a touchdown. OK, whatever. Game's probably over at this point. Uh, crucial missed extra point, And we'll get into that as to why that is crucial. But you miss an extra point. Oh, well, who cares? 30 to 17, a minute, 33 left. You're feeling pretty good. Well, Blown coverage later, Joe Flacco burns him. Uh, then it sets up a New York Jets like desperation onside kick, which NFL rule changes, no run up for, for an onside kick allowed. You know, it makes it virtually impossible. Uh, the hands team wasn't very handy in this case for Cleveland and Amari Cooper let it bounce off and the Jets recover. Next, they get down to like the 25. Joe Flacco throws a dart and then it ties it 30 all right. That's where that missed extra point comes in huge because that game could have gone to overtime, but it didn't. So the the Jets ended up pulling out an absolute stunner of a comeback uh, virtually with like two minutes left in the game down 13 points. The other big weekend was Tua Tagovailoa's like coming out party with the the Miami Dolphins. A uh, lot of blown coverages in the Baltimore Ravens uh, secondary in this game that led to some Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill easy t- pitch and catch touchdowns. But thirty five to fourteen was the score at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Fifteen minutes left to go in the game, obviously, uh, and the Miami Dolphins came back to win in that one. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch that game, but the highlight just looked like Tyreek Hill running around by himself with no one covering him, and I'm not sure why that is ever a good game plan. Right. He's just the only one on the screen. How do you lose Typically, him? Typically, that wasn't a good game plan when he was with the Chiefs, and you know that scouting report probably should have followed him to Miami. So, not sure what happened there because the Ravens saw plenty of the Chiefs uh, when Tyreek Hill was there. 
The other unfortunate loss was the Las Vegas Raiders blowing a 20 to nothing lead, eight minutes and 24 seconds left in that game, where Kyler Murray uh, ran 84 yards on one play for two points. Uh, and uh, score, they scored their final touchdown with zero seconds on the clock. Uh, and two point conversion was completed with literally it was bonus time uh, at that point. And they got into overtime and a turnover, a scoop and score touchdown for the Cardinals uh, won that game. So that was a, a wild weekend in the NFL for those three games, at least. Uh, biggest news of the week other than that was Trey Lance getting uh, injured, having a broken ankle for the San Francisco 49ers very, very early on in that game. Uh and obviously, it looks smart now that the San Francisco 49ers kept Matt or kept Jimmy Garoppolo uh, as their quarterback because he came in the plug and play still looked like, like it was meant to be like Jimmy Garoppolo is their quarterback. Uh, it worked pretty much immediately. The chemistry was still there with some of those players. And it brings up an interesting topic where if Jimmy Garoppolo goes on to lead this team to the playoffs again. Now, what do you do, right? I mean, he's still a free agent at the end of the year, right? So you'd have to bring him back. You'd right. Have to, you'd have to pay up to bring him back. He's not taking a discount again. Yeah, he's playing sure. cheap this year. But at this point, are the 49ers still sticking it out with Trey Lance? I, it, as Ariane tweeted out today, like Trey Lance will not be seen until next year, at which point he will have attempted just 420 passes in the last five years since the beginning of his college career. And only 20 and 22 quarterbacks have attempted more than that last year in the NFL. Uh, and Trey Lance has also just, or has also started in just 21 games since the beginning of college, which is exactly how many games Matt Stafford started last season for the Rams, which is, wild i I mean he's largely unproven still but what do you do do you stick with jimmy g because he's gotten you to a super bowl and gotten you to an nfc championship game i guess i'm just i don't know that you have the choice if i'm jimmy garoppolo i'm not saying okay you can have me now like no i wasn't your guy i'm not your guy i'm gonna go get my paycheck somewhere else i'll tell you that i presume somebody's gonna pay me yeah that's what i would do I also think that's what he's going to do, but man, it might make the 49ers look foolish if Trey Lance is an absolute bust. It is also kind of funny that, you know, their like top secret plan was like, we'll just wait it out. We'll keep Jimmy G on the sidelines and eventually a quarterback will get hurt. A team will get desperate and they'll have to get him. They did not anticipate that team being them. So Mm -hmm. uh, bummer for your plan there. For sure. Yeah, that was not... uh... Not what you were hoping for for the 49ers because now you can't trade them. I assume that was their plan. I say trade them, uh, play Brock Purdy. I mean, right? Brock Purdy is now one hit away from being the Brown or the, the Browns, the 49ers starting quarterback. He's ready. And especially since Jimmy Garoppolo is often injured. He is a little bit injury prone. So, yeah. I mean, that's they're that close to, uh, yeah. He's that close to playing in an NFL game, which remember Josh predicted he would do he in did. October. So, and we said not going to happen. He was fourth on the depth chart at the time, and now he's second. So, yep. we'll see if they bring in a veteran backup or not. But right now, he's second on the depth chart. So, yeah, 
interesting developments in San Francisco. Uh, Thursday night football uh, gave us a another glimpse at what the AFC West is going to be for a very long time going forward. Uh, the Chiefs and the Chargers, it was an entertaining game. Uh, the Chargers winning most of that first half. Uh, they were the clearly the dominant team, and then the Chiefs came out uh, and had a come-from-behind victory, which is seemingly what they do. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in 10-point in deficit games has won over 50% of those games in his career, while the rest of the league wins about 15% of those games, which just goes to show what the firepower of the Chiefs offense really can do. Uh, the stars of this game uh, were Watson and Watson, which sounds like a law firm, uh, but uh, offensively, the wide receiver Watson uh, had Justin Watson uh, had, sorry, Justin Watson is the defensive back. I'm blanking on the, the first name of the other Watson. Christian it was Watson? Justin. No, right? it's it's Justin Watson. Justin Watson had the the long touchdown pass, uh, which was an absolute bullet from Patrick Mahomes, and then Jalen Watson, the seventh round draft pick, uh, which it came out after the game, like as as of two years ago, he was working at Taco Bell trying to figure out where he was gonna play football to continue his career, and now here he is. He had a 99 yard interception return, uh, in which the tight end virtually gave up on that play. Uh, leaving Justin Herbert out to dry on that. Uh, and it was really the the ultimate game changer uh, for the Chiefs as they uh, went on to win that game. Justin Herbert, though, did take a big, clean hit at the end of the game. Uh, came out later that he had torn rip cartilage, which uh, is an injury that you can play through, as he did, but he looked like he was in significant pain, and it is a lingering issue that he might have to deal with for the rest of the season. Uh, which is unfortunate for him because he had an absolute laser beam of a touchdown pass late in that game with that injury. So tough guy there. He will be in the AFC West for a very long time. Uh, the, the Colts, though, in the AFC, everyone was like, this is the Colts year. They have a lot of talent on that team. Uh, Jonathan Taylor bringing in Matt Ryan. Everyone thought, oh, the veteran move. This will be it for the Colts. They'll finally do well. Um, Oh, one and one to start the season with a 24 to nothing blowout loss on the road in Jacksonville this week. Uh, everything looks to be a mess. Sure, they were out without their top wide receiver, but into the third quarter, Jonathan Taylor had less than 10 touches in that game. You can't even even when your star, your top wide receiver is out, you can't even get the ball to the star player on your team, which seems a little uh, counterintuitive, but not sure what's going on there. Uh, it seems like, at least from Colts media and around Indianapolis, that Frank Wright might be on the hot seat in Indy this season. So we'll see. But that offensive line is supposedly good, did not look so good. Uh, offenses that haven't really come, brought it together yet, the, the Russell Wilson edition, everyone said, oh, the Broncos are immediately you know, Super Bowl contenders. Sure, maybe they are, but... This offense looks discombobulated at times. They don't have a lot of star receivers. Russell Wilson seems like he's at times scared to take a hit, uh, which obviously seems like it could be throwing off some of his timing on these routes, um, throwing into tight windows. It, it just doesn't seem like it's a perfect fit so far, and I wonder if that has to be if Nathaniel Hackett might be over his head. 
we'll see. I think Nathaniel Hackett has been terrible so far in the games I've watched. His play calls have not been good. Yes, his play calling has not been good. I agree with that completely. Well, and and that decision at the end of the first game yes. to like just that kick the sixty-four yards. Yeah. Anyway. I could give it to the guy who just paid a bajillion dollars to get and we traded all our assets or we could kick the second longest field goal in NFL history. And that's that's the one you go for. That makes a lot of sense. And I will also say Russell Wilson. I've watched both games this year, unfortunately, because it's been ugly every time. He seems like he is suffering from thinking he's better than he is, is the best way I can describe it. He's doing so much. He's standing at the line getting like delay game penalties because he's trying to Peyton Manning his way through the offense. And then he stands around and looks for the home run pass every time and tries to do too much instead of just taking what he's given. And they don't really have that home run hitter. I mean, Jerry Judy could be it, but he could. But he's been largely injured so far in his NFL career. Cortland Sutton isn't really it. I, I don't know. It just seems like they don't have that guy. You heard reports last year from Seattle that said he was trying too much to win an MVP trophy and not trying hard enough to win games. And you got to wonder if it's that same thing where he's just like, how do I look the best? How do I get the best stats? He's he, he's trying way too hard to look good. I'm like, just. And, and now he's already gotten paid, right? He got paid. He doesn't need to look good anymore. Now you got to win games. I mean, if, if that philosophy doesn't change, the Broncos are going to be hurting in two years when they owe him over $50 million that year. The Seattle Seahawks have to be feeling pretty good about their internal decision. Um, You know, you heard that they thought maybe he was on the downturn. Uh, They seem correct so far because he has not looked like what we expected. The guy that was winning Super Bowls with Seattle by winning Super Bowls. You mean a Super Bowl? Yes. And going to a second one and should have won a second one. Right. Because of terrible play calling. That was the right play call. We've 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 had this discussion before. Uh, We won't get back into it. I digress. But. That, yeah, uh, early season, early season woes for the Broncos so far. Uh, and speaking of woes, if you are uh, going to overreact to your team or underreact, here, here's some stats for you. Courtesy of the Pat McAfee show earlier today, uh, just kind of listening to it while uh, getting through my workday. Historically, since 1998, so I guess not completely historically, but for the last uh 24 years if your team starts 2 and 0 you have a 63% chance to make the playoffs so congrats to the dolphins giants chiefs and bucks you will be the your respective conference champion chip game uh no not really but if you want to overreact to that there you go the giants who would have thought starting 2 and 0 to start the season um but good good for the g men they they beat the Titans in the first week and got a win against Carolina. Uh, a good start under the uh, day ball era in New York. If your team starts one and one, however, you have a 42% chance of making the playoffs, which is the majority of the league. Uh, and then if you are 0-2, you have 11.3% chance to make the playoffs. So sorry to the Panthers, Falcons, Bengals, and Raiders. Just give up. Uh <laughs> But that is absolutely not the case. 11.3% is still a very good chance, or it's still a chance to make the playoffs. It's obviously not set in stone, but uh, for two teams that were that were thought to be at least shoe-ins or virtual locks to be in the playoffs this year, the Bengals and the Raiders, 
Uh, it's interesting to see that they have started the season 0-2 so far. The Bengals chalk that one up to a lot of offensive line play because their rebuild of the offensive line so far has been terrible. Uh, courtesy of Wyatt with this uh, fun fact is Burrow has more sack yardage so far. 13 sacks for 73 yards. Then Najee Harris has rushing yards for the Pittsburgh Steelers. 25 carries for 72 yards. That's not good. Typically, you want to move the Real ball bad. forward, not backward. And it doesn't bode well for a for a quarterback who has gotten... I would have to imagine it's been that he's been the most hit quarterback in his time in the league, just in games played, than anyone else in NFL history. Like, through the last... Through the last, what, four weeks of the season last year, he was hit something like 24 times, and it hasn't calmed down. And that wasn't just hits, that was sacks. I mean, if you go and look at quarterback hits, it's probably worse. Current record, as far as I know, was David Carr in 2002 with 76 sacks. Yep. David Carr is also third on that list. So David Carr seemed to be bad at not getting sacked. But I think Joe Burrow for last year was tied for 35th all time. Because I looked it up yesterday. Wow. But uh, he's on track to, I think you said, Wyatt, 111 times now this I, season. Uh, it's either 93, and I thought that got updated to 111. I was gonna say, when I saw it, it was 93. So obviously, already would be a record by far. Uh, and maybe it got worse this weekend. So they need to do something. Obviously, they did not choose the right people to, quote unquote, upgrade or rebuild their line. It's bad. And you can't do that with a quarterback who has as much Potential is Joe Burrow. Otherwise, you're going to end up with another Andrew Luck scenario. Yeah, it's it hasn't been good. And, and it's a shame because Joe Burrow looked so good last year. Uh, Bengals could be could be wasting a bunch of talent there because they can't just seem to get it right on that line. But it's only been one year. Well, two years of rebuilding it. So we'll we'll see what happens and we'll see if they can get it back on track. So Bengals fans, keep your heads up. You have an 11.3 percent chance statistically of making the playoffs so good luck there'll be a lot and there could be some more teams that join that club of course with the monday night results the bills vikings and eagles could join the 2-0 club and the titans could join that 0-2 club depending on the results of monday night football here um so we're gonna go back to baseball for mike stupid rules yes baseball season is still happening um pennant races are coming down the stretch here um, so we'll keep you updated on those, um, as we get closer, but I want to go back to baseball for Mike stupid rules specifically. So we're going to talk about, um, infield fly. I know I referenced this a couple of weeks ago that we we're going to talk about it. Um, and we didn't get there cause there were some more interesting things, but now we are going to go for it. So first, so first the definition of an infield fly um, according to the baseball rulebook, an infield fly is a fair fly ball, not including line drives or attempted bunts, which can be caught by an infielder with ordinary effort when first and second or first, second, and third are occupied and there are less than two outs, right? So first thing I want to talk about there, ordinary effort, right? It doesn't matter where on the field it's hit to. It doesn't matter... Um, Right. It doesn't matter um, where on the field. It doesn't matter um, anything, how high it's hit, nothing like that. Just in the umpire's judgment, could it be caught by an infielder with ordinary effort? Um, in this case, the ball is alive and runners may advance at their own risk. Um, 
but the real thing I want to touch is right. So the key is it's an infield fly if fair. So if an infield fly is declared and the ball um, is allowed to bounce untouched to the ground and then bounces foul um, before either crossing the baseline or or going past the bases or being touched, um, it is a um, it is a foul ball. It is not an infield fly. Right, so you could have a ball that is called an infield fly if fair, lands fair, bounces foul. In that case, it is a foul ball, right? Because it is an infield fly only if fair. So that if if that ball is allowed to bounce foul, it is foul, and um, it is not an infield fly. That that's that's pretty 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 straightforward, I think. And it's the same thing the other way around, right? If it bounces foul and then goes back fair it's an infield fly as well right so if it somehow landed in foul territory and then rolled fair it is an infield fly so the fair foul status of that infield fly is based on the result of the play not the um not where it hit the ground or where it was caught well if it's caught it doesn't matter but or anything like that so that's just what I talked about in field flies. We saw this um, in the Little League World Series, among other things, um, where the f- the foul ball was uh, where a f- infield fly was allowed to bounce foul, um, and it was a foul ball. So there you go. Any questions on that? Nope, I'm all clear. That one is pretty straightforward, but it sometimes gets missed there with it bouncing foul. So. There you go. Our accountability session, we're going to get a lot of baseball predictions coming off the board here. Like I said, the season's winding down. So some of our more outlandish predictions um, are no longer mathematically possible. And we're going to start taking those off the board. Um, First one to come off the board was Wyatt's preseason prediction that the Cubs would make the playoffs. They were just recently eliminated from wildcard contention in the National League. So for that, Wyatt gets a... I predicted that the Twins would get a playoff bye. I predicted that early in the season. They're unlikely to make the playoffs in general and definitely eliminated from getting a bye. So for that, I get a nah. Nah, nah. Josh predicted the Brewers would have the most wins in the National League at the end of the year. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. So nah. Nah. I also projected that the Twins would win the Central by eight or more games. Um, they are not going to do that. They are now currently seven games back with 14 to play. Um, so they can't um, get from ahead to, or from seven behind to eight ahead in 14 games. So for that, I get a nah. Nah, nah. Um, Now switching over to some football predictions. Ariane predicted the Iowa State would start two and two. Um, having three wins before you have any losses prohibits you from starting two and two. So for that, Ariane gets a nah. Happy to be wrong. And just because, you know, we want to just round out an awful week from everybody on these predictions, um, Josh predicted that Alan Lazard would have two TDs um, in the game against the Packers when he came back, um, and he ended up uh, having only one. So for that, Josh gets a... I didn't didn't get featured. Yeah, that's true. You did Maybe that bodes well. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe your bad week will be next week. We will see. And as usual, I will start um, by getting a prediction back up on the board. And I am going to play off that theme Wyatt mentioned in the intro. 
I'm going to say that despite the three and no start, KU does not go to a bowl game this year. No bowl game for KU. And that is certainly a possibility. I bet they do, though. Could lose their next nine games. Potentially. I mean, let's assume they beat Duke. Yep. I mean, you can't assume, but probably they'll beat Duke. They have four games, so they need two conference wins. That's yeah, it. Which well, two, two more conference wins. They already beat correct, West Virginia, correct. who besides yeah. them was projected to be the worst team in the conference. So I thought TCU was projected to be the worst. I think right after the season ended last year, they were. Well, KU playing Texas is an obvious win. So, <laughs> right. You can never rule it out. So, um, ESPN's FPI, um, just for the record, gives KU a 65.9% chance to get to six wins and go to a ball game. That seems, that seems a little high to me. I don't, know. I don't know. That doesn't seem that crazy to me. I don't think it's crazy, but it just seems a little high. It's a little high. Not ton, not super high. I don't know. What do you think? Double? Yeah, probably. Probably. Between a single or a double. I'm I'm good with a double if that's what you're giving me. Sorry, you haven't decided. It would be leaning. I like a, I like a double because I'm biased. Like after the Iowa State game to see how they play against an opponent who I think is very, you know, halfway decent. Yeah. I'd be much more comfortable going either single or triple. But yeah, got to be a double. Double it is. They're fun games to watch. If you haven't watched a KU game this year, tune in. They're fun. Scrappy. I, I, I'll do that on October 1st. All right. Sounds do we good. Do anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's still alive. He's doing good. He's excited uh, that Aaron Rodgers continues to own the Bears. Um, and he's going to make a prediction that I, I saw and chuckled at when I was looking at the NFL standings this morning. He is going to project that the Vikings lose on Monday Night Football, and that makes the entire... NFC North, one and one. They play the Eagles? They play the Eagles, yeah. The Eagles are a couple point favorites, two or three point favorites, I believe, in this game. Oh, really? It is in Philadelphia, so. I was thinking that the Vikings would be the favorite there. No, the Eagles are favored by a couple points because it's in Philadelphia. I guess a single, then. Yeah, that sounds better to me. Sure. I'm going to predict that an ISU opponent will snap a play from on or inside their own two-yard line. So we either have like a really good punt or a really stupid At interception. Any point ever? Yeah. Any point for the rest of the year? Oh, on or inside their own two. Yeah, so like we fumble at the goal line or something like that. Or we have a good punt. Yeah. yeah. That's what first came to mind was a really good punt from Perkins. Because Ben Gambarini came into the game and had a really terrible punt. I was like, man, that was bad. And I realized that all of our other punts for that game were really good. At the Ohio game is what I was thinking of. And I just want a really good punt. But if it happened any other way, that's fine, too. Um, I don't know. I could see this happening. That does, that I'm between a me. single and a double. Yeah, a single. I agree. initially thinking single. I'm fine with a single. Yeah, I think I am, too. Same. What do you got, Kyle? I am predicting that the 49ers with Jimmy G at the helm. That isn't a part of it, but I'm saying that will win the NFC West. With Brock Purdy at the helm? Sure. Whoever is helming. <laughs> so 538 gives the 49ers a 42% chance to win their division, according to their quarterback-adjusted ELO, because it actually thinks that Jimmy Garoppolo is significantly better at quarterback than uh, Trey Lance's. That seems like a fair take to surprise, me. Surprise, surprise. Um, so with that assumption that he will be playing the rest of the year, which I know Kyle is not part of your prediction, but it's part of their model, um, right. gives him a 42% chance to 
to win that game. So single then? Win the division, not the game. Yeah, win the division, yeah. So double? Is that double or single territory for us? It's kind of it's on the borderline, but I don't think I think those uh, those odds are slightly high to me. I agree. I'm I'm I also was surprised they were a little high. Yeah, I yeah. So I'm I'm fine with with the double. Works for me. I mean, it is a long season. There's still 15 games left. It ain't a single. I'm I'm good with the double. The Rams do look like garbage in that first game, though. So true. Never know. You got our end. All right. I'm bringing it back to the darlings of the football season so far in KU. Um, we should just take a moment here to acknowledge the injustice that was done upon the college you know, football world of not sending college game day to Lawrence. It's a shame. We're not surprised. We're not surprised. We're not, but they should have done it. Duke KU, it would have been a lot of fun. Uh, it's lame that they didn't. Where but, did they uh, send it? Knoxville, Tennessee, Knoxville. Florida, Tennessee. Boo. Post. Nobody wants that. SEC propaganda tour. Twenty twenty two. Has it ever stopped? No. No. All they ever do. No, uh, but they're just revamping it for this season. Yeah. But to bring it back to my prediction, uh, I am gonna say KU ends up ranked at some point this season. I'm, I'm gonna say they, you know, really just throttle the heck out of uh Duke, probably so, win by twenty or something, and then get like a twenty five this week. My guess. So they're they were receiving about the same number of votes that Iowa State was receiving last week, maybe a few more. Um, and right now, I and you gave me a double for that prediction, just as reference. I'm not saying that's what we should give you, but that's that's the yeah. reference. I I personally think a double might be warranted here. I feel like Kansas will be ranked at some point. It, it's a double or like triple. It has, it's at least a double. Yeah. It almost has to be like this week, though, right? I, I would think this it's either this week I mean, or bust, right? If they, if they beat Iowa State. Right. If they right. beat they could beat Duke. It's definitely conceivable, it's, depending on how it shakes out, that they could beat Duke and still not be ranked. Yeah, absolutely. So if they beat Duke, even like have a close game against Iowa State and beat some other conference opponent, like I that would still be twenty five. Maybe. Especially if it's, it's possible. Texas and Texas pretends like they're being good or something. Like oh, they love doing that. No. I, I see this happening. I, I'm in double camp. I was leaning towards triple. I'll make you make the decision, Kyle. I, I obviously am not high on Kansas based on my predictions. What's what's their FBI against Duke? Um, uh, like 70-something, I think. Yeah, I'd have to check. I, I'm at a double because I think it happens They're this nine week. They're nine-point favorites. I think it happens this week. You beat Duke. They're already receiving votes. I think it happens this week. Double. Okay, that's that's the tiebreaker then. I would love it. I hope welcome, to see it. Welcome to the KU propaganda episode. We're going <laughs> to hype them up so when they fail, it's way more funny. Yeah. <laughs> We're just doing this to whip KU later. <laughs> yeah, basically. Two singles and three doubles. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 cast, episode 191. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311cast on Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!